0: Well, I guess people said. Amen. All right, turn to your neighbor and say, "I'm glad you're here today." Yep. Now you can turn to him and say, "Did the storm wake you up last night?" Yeah, that storm came through in my house about 4:30 maybe, 5:30, somewhere like an ungodly hour for a storm, right? That and the dog my neighbor's dog, Max, I, I do like him because um, he's on the other side of the fence and never really have to deal with him, but I feed him hot dogs. But last night, man, he was barking, and I thought, man, do I have any antifreeze? Am I? <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's just joking. But I'm, you know, in the middle of the night when you wake up, you know, you're like, you know, you're not in the spirit exactly. You're in the flesh. You're like, okay, how could I get rid of the dog? Is there an antifreeze? You know, that's sort of deal. I would never do that. By the time I made it to the garage, trust me, I would rethink it. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying I wouldn't make it to the garage, though. <laughs> I'm not going to say that, but I would make it somewhere. Can I have a little more light in the room? Just a little bit more light. would be great. Um, <clears throat> Summer Spectacular, we at least had 132 kids come through. Summer Spectacular. So that's <clears throat> that's good. Um, we will do a A better recap next week, but we know for certain, as much as we know for certain, that one kid received Christ. So that is amazing. We're following up on some other ones, but one was just way too excited for it not to have happened. Um, She she wanted to speak into the microphone. She told me about it. She told her mom on the way out the door, "I've got something to talk to you about." It was all on her own, so you know that's a pretty good sign that somebody's received Christ. So. Um, and I'll just say, <clears throat> is it just one? Yeah, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. And I'd do it all again for just that one. So, yeah, 99 to get the one. Yeah, I'm glad nobody gave up on me when I was little. So, that was a good thing. Um, when I was little, speaking of when I was little, <clears throat> uh, my mom, there's this church in, in Hall River, which is in Burlington. It's right outside of Burlington. You may know where it is. There's a little church, Christ Community Church. And my mom grew up there. And so when I was a kid, every Memorial Day and every time they had homecoming, we would go and we would eat at that church. We would go to Sunday school, then we'd go to service, and, and we would eat at that church. Um, you may know that church as the church where Blanche Taylor Moore attended, some of you might not know Blanche Shale Moore. She, she poisoned her uh, husband with um, some banana pudding. Yeah, it's what she did. Yeah, that's true. And so all my cousins, because you know how picky I am. This, it didn't just start when I was late, later in life. I was always picky. I was the one that said, I know who hasn't been poisoned by the pastor's life. Yeah, it was me. But nonetheless, we would go there each year. And one year, I don't know, I was six, maybe seven years old. We always played tag, and I ran into the storage room in the fellowship hall. And over in the corner, I noticed that the wall was a little bit, like, cockeyed. Like, there was a little space in the wall. So I went over to the wall, and what I found was that there was a secret room behind that wall panel. So you could pull it open, and there was a little way you could get to it right here, because I investigated just in case I wanted to get back into it. And I pulled it open, and then on the other side was a doorknob. And so you pulled the doorknob closed, and there was a spiral staircase. And so I wondered, well, where in the world does this go? And I wasn't smart enough to leave the door open. I, I pulled it, too. I mean, what if, what if I couldn't get out, right? Never, never crossed my mind. But I saw the spiral staircase, and it went up. And when you got to the top of it, there was really no other place to go. Like, there was not another door. I felt it's on the walls and stuff, and I tried to figure all this out. But then I noticed that there was a panel that had a little light coming in from around it, a little square light, and I pushed that panel up and you could crawl into the foyer of the church upstairs. Little foyer. So it was a secret way to get to the foyer that my cousins didn't know about. So we would play um, tag, and I was a pretty fast runner, at least I could sprint, cross country different, but I could run pretty fast. I would run into that closet and disappear, and I could hear them through the wall going, where did he go? He's not under the chairs. He's not under the table. Where did he go? And finally, they would find me in the sanctuary upstairs just sitting in a pew because I just liked, you know, to sit there and kind of rest a little bit and let them kind of of do the work. Well, they kept trying to figure out how I was getting upstairs by running into that closet. So um, I didn't realize this, but there must have been a meeting because I ran into the closet and disappeared. And when I peeked up, right outside the door was one of my cousins guarding that door. There was another cousin guarding the stairs that came up from the fellowship hall and the other two entrances. They had surrounded just to make sure that I wouldn't get in that particular way because they wanted to figure this out. They never figured it out, never figured it out. I still got in there, this little staircase. And it was amazing. Um, This is not a picture of that staircase. It's the one I found online. Can you give me a second? I'm not doing anything weird. (laughs) This thing is bugging me to death. This little thing right here. I'm going to wrap that thing right here and we'll see if that works. All right. Yeah. Okay, so this staircase. All right. So this staircase and, um, and it was hidden. In the Bible, it is told to us that we, you and I, must be holy as God is holy. Now, this is a secret from the world that the world doesn't understand. If they do not have the Lord Jesus Christ in their hearts, they have no concept of what holiness is or any concept of why you and I would want to follow the word of God in our life. Why do they want to do that? Well, the reason is there's a hidden staircase, and it's a staircase of holiness. And what happens... When you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and you ask him to be your savior, he takes you from unholiness and he puts you into holiness. Holiness in scripture for the believer is a position. It's not something you work at. Your holiness is based on the holiness of Jesus Christ. It is not based on whether you do what is right or wrong. It's not based on that. Your holiness is based on the blood of Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross. So he takes you and he places you on this staircase. And then what he says is, I want you to be holy as I am holy because I want you to be my representative in this world. So what he does is he tells you how to live holy. And it is a tight fit around the staircase. There is a guardrail to keep you from falling over. And you, you continue to go up the steps as best as you can. You try to witness. You try to tell the truth. You, you try to do what's right. You try to t- t- treat people correctly. You try to live this right life correctly. You try and try and try. But he has placed you on that staircase. Now, I'll submit to you this morning that once you're on the staircase, you really can't leave it. You can fall down it. But you can't leave it because the staircase isn't because you somehow found a secret room. The staircase is because Jesus Christ saved you from your sins and he declared you to be holy and he placed you on the staircase. The price was paid by his blood, his redemption. He redeemed you and he placed you there. It's your job and my job to go up the staircase as best as we can to be who he wants us to be in this world. But you are holy because he has sanctified you to be holy. Um, with that said, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 21. Leviticus chapter 21. And this is what it says, verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, speak to the priest the sons of Aaron and say to them no one shall make himself unclean for the dead among his people and then if you flip over to chapter 22 verse 1 it says sort of the same thing and the lord spoke to Moses saying speak to Aaron and his sons so that they abstain from the holy things of the people of Israel which they dedicate to me so that they do not profane my holy name i am the lord so this section of scripture is talking about priests, priests that are called. Now, over here to my right, this young man right here with no hair and a long beard that could take me out. His name is Nathan Johnson, and right beside of him is his wife named Katie Johnson. They grew up with me. Nathan more so than Katie. I knew Katie in middle school, and we, we knew her friends all through middle school, through high school, been friends for that long of a period of time. Nathan, however, has known me since kindergarten. Okay? So, so he's grown up with me. He knows me in school. He, he has all the dirty, dark secrets that you may want to know or may not want to know. And he might not even remember. Because I don't remember most, most of them. But he grew up with me. Now, I don't know what he thought about me when I was a kid. We have been best friends for a very long period of time. I don't know what he thought of me when I was a kid. But you and I both know people that we grew up with that we would never think that they would be a pastor of a church. Right? Right? And I can tell by your giggling. It's no way. And you know people that have, um, you knew them when they were younger, and all of a sudden they made them... The pastor, they feel called to be a pastor of the church. What is going on in the spiritual world, right? What in the world is going on? Why are they pastors? Aaron and his sons were known in that community. There were people that grew up with his sons, there were people that knew Aaron, and that family wasn't the sharpest tools in the shed. Okay? For instance, Moses, and I've told you this before, Moses went up on a mountain. Aaron's in control. A couple of days later, Aaron makes a calf for them to worship. That is not the sharpest tool in the shed. In fact, I'm not even sure if the tool was in the shed when he made that particular decision. You know, I don't think the tool made it. It was dull and didn't even make it. And so here is Aaron, and he is made priest in the place that God has determined would be where he touches down on earth and where a little touch of heaven is on earth he made Aaron and the sons priest there's no merit for them to be priests, none at all there's no reason why you would choose them they're not holier than other people they're not better than other people they are even not even smart sometimes i mean they are they're just People that you grew up with, why would they do that? And I submit to you this morning that the reason that they were in that position is because God chose them to be there. It was not because of their merit. It was not because they were smart. It was not because they knew more about the Bible than anybody else, because the Bible hadn't been written yet. Okay? So it's not because they knew more about the Bible or were closer to God. It's not because they had merit. You and I, in Scripture, if we receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, are priests of God. We're a holy priesthood. We are representatives of him on earth. And I would submit to you this morning with a certain amount of accuracy, 100%, that there's nobody in this room that gains salvation because of their merit. That gained that position of priesthood because somehow or another they were the sharpest tool in the shed. They were the most holy people. They were closer to God than anybody else. And so God said, I will save them and I will make them my child. I will make them a priest that represents me in this world. No, that is not how it works. God chose you. He chose you to be his priest here on this earth. Now, Did you choose him? Absolutely. How did that work out in the scripture? I do not know. But you have the responsibility to choose the Lord Jesus Christ. And God has chosen you to be a priest for him in this world. And there's people in this room, I know, that when you went to school with them, you would think, there's no way that they'd be in church. And here you are. But do you know the person in your life that was never thinking that? God. God. God looked at you and said, I'm not giving up. I'm going to go after you. You are going to be in church, and you will be serving me because I love you. That is grace and mercy. So Aaron, (laughs) not the sharpest tool in the shed. His sons, not the sharpest tools in the shed. In fact, I would say, do you ever have that weed eater that just can't start? That would be some of Aaron's sons. Come on, guys, right? Come on, come on. You just uh, choke, choke, no, just give up on it. Not the sharpest tool in the shed. So let's continue. Look at chapter 21, verses 16 through 24. It says this. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron saying, none of your offspring throughout their generations who has a blemish may approach to offer the bread of his God. So Aaron, if your children, your sons have a blemish, they can't do this job. Verse 18, for no one who has a blemish shall draw near a man blind or lame or one that has a mutilated face or a limb that's too long. Or a man who has an injured foot or an injured hand or a hunchback or a dwarf or a man with a defect in his sight or an itching disease, or scabs, or itching, or, sorry, or, I can't say that, so we're going to verse 21. It's just hard for me to say. No man of the offspring of Aaron the priest who has a blemish shall come near to offer the Lord's food offering. Since he has a blemish, he shall not come near to offer the bread of his God. He may eat the bread of his God, both of the most holy and the holy things, but he shall not go Through the veil or approach the altar because he has a blemish that he may not profane my sanctuaries. For I am the Lord who sanctifies them. I am the Lord who sanctifies them. What in the world is going on here? I thought the Bible was compassionate toward individuals that had ailments or blemishes. Like I thought the Bible was—it tells us to be compassionate for people that are blind, for people that are deaf, for people that are less fortunate than we are at health. right? I thought the Bible teaches that. Well, it does. So what in the world is going on here with Aaron and his sons that somehow or another, they have to be perfect. They have to be perfect without blemish, without limbs, be able to walk, just the perfect in body form. What in the world is happening here? Look, I have scars on my legs. I threw gasoline on the grill when I was little, burned my legs. I have scars on my legs. I mean, if I was back then and a Levitical priest, I could not do the priesthood job. So why is that? Why is that? Well, look at chapter 22, and maybe we'll start to understand a little bit about it says in verse 17, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and all the people of Israel and say to them, When anyone of the house of Israel or of the sojourners in Israel presents a burnt offering for his offering, for any other vows or will offerings that they offer to the Lord, if it is to be accepted for you, it shall be male without blemish of the bulls or of the sheep or the goats. So it's without blemish. You shall not offer anything that has a blemish it will not be acceptable for you. And when anyone offers a sacrifice, a peace offering to the Lord to fulfill a vow or his free will offering from the herd or from the flock to be accepted, it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish in it. Check this out. Animals, blind or disabled or mutilated or having discharge or an itch or scabs, you shall not offer it to the Lord or give them to the Lord as a food offering on the altar. So, this passage is a parallel. It's a parallel between the blemishes of the priests and the blemishes of the animals, and they're the same. Animals can't be blind. Priests can't be blind. Animals have to be perfect. Priests in body have to be perfect. What is going on? And I'll tell you what's going on it's theater, it's a picture. It's a picture. The priest represents something. The sacrifice represents something. So the sacrifice without blemish, of course, is Jesus Christ. And when that sacrifice is offered, that purity of that sacrifice is transferred to the individual that is asking forgiveness for their sins. In other words, this sacrifice and its purity, the picture of the purity of Christ is transferred to this individual because this individual does not have purity aside from it being transferred to them. That is precisely what Jesus Christ did for you and me. He died on the cross to save us from our sins and his purity and his holiness transferred to us. That's why you can't earn it. You can't do anything for it. It is not by your merit. It is given to you. You are in a position of holiness because he was holy. And that is the theater. That is the picture that this sacrifice is offering. Over here on this side is the priest who are alive and people that the purity has been transferred over to them Every day priest had sacrifices for their sins so that they could be pure in their job and what they were supposed to do. And their holiness and them without blemish, they are representatives of Jesus Christ on this earth. So they are perfect looking. Are you seeing the picture? It is theater. It is a picture. It is a it is picture of Jesus Christ who is your high priest. And the only scars that are allowed in heaven are on his hands, feet, and side. The only scars allowed in heaven. And he presented a sacrifice in heaven for your sins and for mine. And we, the priests rather, then were a representative of who he was. You fast forward to now, you and I are also called to be priests and we are also God's representatives. We... Just like the priests back then are supposed to be a mirror reflection of the image of God. Wait a minute, Philip. You said the image of God. Absolutely. Because when you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and you are put in a position of holiness, what has happened in that moment is it's gone back to the Garden of Eden where they were made fully human in holiness. You have been resurrected from the death that sin had brought into the world. And when you receive the Lord Jesus Christ, you are alive in Christ. And the reason you're alive and you're fully human is because God has taken you from unholiness and placed you into holiness. Oh, come on. That's like you have a dirty dish that you have to eat out of and you put it in Dawn soap so that you can eat it out of rather than eating in the dirty dish. I don't even want to know how many people would just eat the dirty dish. You would eat in the clean dish. And God has made you holy. And you are his representative in this world, his mirror reflection. That is what he wants you to be as a priest of his. I don't know about you, but there's a weight that gets on my shoulders when I think about that. I represent God. Yeah, I'm supposed to be his mirror reflection. Oh, man. I'm trying to go up the staircase of holiness. It's not of my own merit, it's through the blood of Jesus Christ, but he tells me to live this certain way so I can be his image in this world, so I can be a witness in his world, so I can shine for him and be a picture of him. And I've got to go up these stairs. I've got to do that. I'm the mirror reflection. You're the mirror reflection. Man, that is a lot of weight on your shoulders. I remember one time I was in the staircase, the hidden staircase in my mom's church and I fell down the staircase. And the staircase had those little ridges in it. You know the little ridges? They're like little ridges that, are, that keep your feet on it. But just, And I was in shorts and so I hit it and it scraped and it didn't feel real good. Well, I didn't cry because I didn't want my cousins to know my secret. So what I did was I got back up and I went back up the staircase once I felt good enough and and went back up because I didn't want to know. we fall down the staircase more than we want to admit to people beside us. How in the world? It's just a weight on our shoulders. So how do we do this? How do we do this? Chapter 21, verse 6 says this. They shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their Lord God. For they offer the Lord's food offerings, the bread of their God, therefore they shall be holy. They shall not profane the name of their God. The first thing when you're on the staircase is you have to make sure that you're not profaning the name of your God, that you're representing him well. This does not mean if you fall down the staircase that somehow or another you lose your holiness because you don't. You just lose your image reflection of God in the world. Does that make sense? So you don't profane the Lord your God. You're holy. You represent him well with your words, with your actions, with what you do. You represent him well. Anything that doesn't represent him well is stuff that you shouldn't be doing. See, these priests, they couldn't do certain things. They had to wear certain things. They had to shave. They had to look a certain way. God wants you to look like him to this world. And let me tell you something. This world needs people that look like God, that look like Jesus. They they need that. The next thing in this passage, I think, is found in verse 12. Yeah, verse 12. It says this. He shall not go out of the sanctuary lest he profane the sanctuary of his God. For the consecration of the anointing oil of his God is on him. I am the Lord. In other words, if we are to stay on the staircase, if we are to be holy, you do not step out of the presence of God. The difference here is the priest had to step out of the presence of God because the tabernacle was the only place God dwelt. But in this season of the church, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, and you are the walking tabernacles in this world. And So wherever you and I go, we are supposed to mirror the image of God, and wherever I go, I am not supposed to step out of the presence of God. I'm supposed to be filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit in everything that I do. And if this thing over here is something that gets me out of the presence of God, doing things that are unholy, that I shouldn't be doing, not representing God to my fullest ability, this is a place where I should not be. I should be in this place, in the presence of God, doing the things that he's told me to do, being holy as he is holy, living like he wants me to live. And I never step out of his presence to do something else. Let me be clear. If you step out of his presence, you're still a believer. You're just not filled with the Holy Spirit. You're just acting according to the flesh. Is what's happening. But to be a representative, you stay in the presence of God. Yeah. So, man, then, like, it gets on your shoulders, right? It, the The weight is on your shoulders. The first time we saw priests in Leviticus was in chapter eight and nine. I mean, I know that they had instructions before then, but where he really zeroed in. And, and, and God gave the priest instructions in eight and nine of how to run the sanctuary. And then what happened in chapter 10? They failed. They failed. So you and I both know that as we go up the staircase, there are going to be times that we fail, Right? There's going to be times that we step out of the presence of God and we really didn't want to. We wanted to at the time we stepped out of the presence of God, but then we really wish we hadn't and we try to get back to the presence of God. I mean, that's kind of the ebb and flow of things, isn't it? We, we try to be holy as God is holy, but we seem to fall down the stairs more than we walk up them. Have you ever noticed that? Yes? Yeah? So how in the world can we accomplish This little thing, well, I'll I'll go back to this. Look at verse 8. You shall sanctify him, for he offers the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you, for I, the Lord, who sanctifies you, am holy. Who sanctifies you? Talk to me. Who sanctifies you? Who makes you holy? Do you make yourself holy? No, God does. Every time we fall down the stairs, God says, If you confess your sins, I'm faithful and just, and I'll forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And He picks you back up and He sets you back on those stairs to where you can walk up them. Isn't that awesome? I cannot do this alone, and God knows that. I can't do it alone. But God, in his sovereignty, if my heart is to follow him, will pick me up and put me back on their stairs every single time. God is that gracious, that redeeming, that merciful. He is amazing. He's amazing. It's amazing. Um. I uh, have been watching the Olympics. Have you been watching the Olympics? Okay, no, no. Is there a political thing with it? Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Don't tell me, because I've chosen to really watch the Olympics as best I can without commentators. Okay? Yeah, without commentators. Um, what did it in for me? Well, there's two things. One, I think one guy had a book of analogies that he would use from time to time, And I just got tired of that, so I muted him. And the other one was this lady. There was a a 200-meter IM where, you know, you do one stroke going down, one, and then one going back, you know. And I I can't tell you the order of the strokes. But on the second time through, she said, you know, this is her her best stroke except for freestyle and butterfly. I don't know if you know anything. There's only four of them. I don't know how the third one could be the best. I don't know what kind of core math is going on here, baby. Well, let's get it right, all right? Not sure. Anyway, love to watch it. Well, um, some of the stuff that I have listened to, I know I made the statement about commentators, but I have listened to some of the interactions. And um, when a particular athlete doesn't do well, they will say this phrase. Well, they're only human, right? They're only human, so they failed in that particular capacity, now, I've been thinking about that. They're only human. They're only human. They're only human. We seem to use that every time that we sin. Well, you know I sinned because I was only human. I yelled because I was only human. I, I did wrong because I was only human. I did that because I was only human. You know they're only human. And we do it in a sense of where just humanity is just flawed. But I submit to you this morning as Christians, if you sin. You're not doing it because you're human, you're doing it because you're less than human. You are less than human when you do that. And sin is never to be equated with humanity because Jesus did more on the cross than that. Maybe I can put it to you this way. The moment that you and I, I think we should rewrite the book by the way. The moment you and I should be saying, I did that because I'm human, is in these scenarios. I sat down and I witnessed to that kid and they received Christ because I'm fully human. I loved them instead of yelling at them because I'm fully human. I helped them out today because I'm fully human. Because to be fully human is to be redeemed by the Lamb and holy. Holy. Anything unholy is not God's definition of human. So we, you and I, need to be saying, hey, I offered them groceries today. I gave them groceries today because they need it because I'm human. I helped them today because I'm human. I kept my negative attitude in check and did something positive because I'm human. "'I showed love, peace, kindness, and forbearance "'because I am fully human.'" Christians need to take that attitude with them. And when they do something right, and when they do something that's under the direction of the Holy Spirit, when they work in Summer Spectacular, when they're pouring their lives into kids, when they're trying to give people the Bible, when they're trying to raise their their home in a godly way, they need to think in terms, I am doing this because I am a resurrected, fully human follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And quit making the mistake of saying, I did that because I'm human. No, no, no. You did that because you're less than human. You acted like an animal. Jesus Christ saved you to be more than an animal. He saved you to be fully human and in his image so that you can represent him in this world. So get back up where you've fallen down the stairs and walk up the spiral staircase And get back into his presence of holiness and live for him. You know the thing that never changes about a spiral staircase is the center. Steps go around. It's the way you go up. Right? That center is I am the Lord your God. I am holy. And when you get to the top, what you find is when you open the door, you enter into a holy place. That is far beyond your wildest dreams. Yeah. Mere reflection. That's what you need to be in this world. Don't be like them. Show them that God reordered your life in a great way. And it is the way to live. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the stage you've given us. Thank you for the call to be holy something that's hard for us to reach alone. In fact, it's impossible. But we thank you. You are the one that makes us holy. Our heart's desire is to follow you to the best of our ability. Father, we're thankful that when we fall, you still redeem. We're thankful that when we get off the path, You still have the door wide open for us to return. We are thankful for your grace and your mercy. Help us to be a people that live in such a way that we reflect you in this world. Every time the world tries to solve a problem, they make it worse. But when you solved the problem, you made us better. And that's what the world needs to see. So I pray that the next time that we get upset, that we take a step back and say, what would God do? What, how can I be a representative of you right now and not a representative of the world? Next time we're tempted, is to not go out of your presence, but refuse the temptation and stay in your presence. so that we can continue to reflect who you are. The next time, Father, we do something good that we know that you led us to do, we say with a thankful heart, I did that because I'm fully human, because Jesus has resurrected me to be that way. And we do not degrade what you've done for us. Father, help us be your your people. For the person in the room that's conflicted with something right now, they know they haven't been holy. They know they haven't been following you. I pray that they'll cry out to you for forgiveness. We know that you'll freely give it. For those of us in here that really strive to be holy, show us where we're failing so that we could correct that and continue to be more like you each day of our lives and more like Christ as we prepare to meet you one day. I pray that as a result of our lives, Father, that we live in holiness, that people will come to know you as their personal Savior and they will begin the holiness journey as well. So we leave all that into your hands and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing. The altar is open. I'm also here for you.